0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. Hello and welcome. Winter is finally here, and since we're on the cusp of ski season, we thought it was appropriate to interview a Blue Mountain expert, Stacey Manning. Stacy is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Blue Mountain Resort and someone who the BMVA works very closely with. Andrew and Stacy discuss mentors, how to become a better leader, suggestions for the younger generation, and most importantly, the ski season at Blue and what it's going to look like in 2021 and 2022. We hope that you enjoy.
0: Well, hello, Stacy. Thanks for joining us. I'm wondering if you can start off by telling us what brought you and your family to the South Georgian Bay region.
1: I came to Blue Mountain with my husband and two of my children in tow. And we came to Blue Mountain from Pemberton, British Columbia, and both my husband and I worked in Whistler, British Columbia. The reason we came to Blue Mountain was family. My husband's family is retired in the area and had been for a few years when we returned. And I grew up skiing in the area and my brother was still living in the area. He actually went to the National Ski Academy and at that time had gone to Collingwood Collegiate. So we were fairly connected to the area having spent many of our younger years here. And really the reason was to return and be close to family as we had grandchildren in tow.
0: Oh, wow. That's nice. It was a homecoming of sorts. Yes, it was. Now, did you both have your jobs lined up before you came or did you move first and then uh, find opportunities?
1: I was actually on mat leave with my second child when we returned. My husband is a lift mechanic. He was working on Whistler Mountain in the Millwright Francis program there. And so he came back and he started working first at Beaver Valley. And I did not have a job at the time. But I think I was back four weeks when Bruce Pite, who worked for IntraWest at the time, called me and said, hey, I heard you're in Blue Mountain.
0: And that's where it all began, here. You have quite a career in the hospitality industry. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about your career path.
1: When I was in high school, I actually said, "Hey, you're good with people, and uh, you are good with numbers. So hospitality sounds like it's right up your alley. So, with my headmaster at the time, I applied for the hotel administrative program at University of Guelph. And so went right into a hospitality a university program. And then when I graduated, I was fortunate enough to start my career with four seasons in Toronto, but found myself really both my husband and I. Every moment that we got, we were headed somewhere to either at that time we climbed a lot, we mountain biked and we skied. And so all the time we were always trying to get out of the city and being downtown Toronto was not necessarily where our passion and our careers were meeting. So we had opportunities come up for us in the mountains. And so we quickly moved out west. And then, yes, in those smaller markets in British Columbia, there's a lot of hospitality opportunities. And when they have people who have experience, you move up a little faster than you probably would in that big urban area. But I really love that environment because it was very entrepreneurial spirited, which would definitely aligns with the way I think, and I feel I've flourished in that environment.
0: Those destinations are definitely known for being innovative, and sometimes a bit resource-constrained, right? So you have to be creative and think outside the box. I think you're also um, you're a rare professional in the industry where you you started your path through education and then built your career. A lot of people start in the sector and kind of get their experience from the ground up and then find themselves into those management positions. But there's a huge amount of hospitality, hotel, tourism, post-secondary programming all across Canada. What was your experience like at that Guelph program? Because I know it's a very well-respected school.
1: What it prepared me for was to read a financial sheet. It didn't necessarily prepare me to come out and work at a front desk. And there wasn't a co-op program in those days. So you would really spend your summers kind of working at the frontline jobs and acquiring your skill set through those frontline jobs. But I think that's probably the reason I ended up being more in the numbers side of the business than necessarily on the operations side. I have worked through operations. In fact, I was a general manager at one point in time in my career. And so you are very operationally tied in the general manager's role. But mainly my job has been always more tied to revenue management and sales and marketing.
0: That's one of the great aspects of those programs as they really prepare you for the business side of hospitality. Throughout your career, whether it's at school or in the, the different places that you worked, Was there a a mentor that has stood out for you in your memory, someone who really influenced and shaped you as you were growing in the ranks, so to speak?
1: Right now, I find myself with a real mentor in Dan Skelton. I find he challenges me on a daily basis with the way I approach things because he approaches them very differently. And so I'm very much enjoying that process. In the early parts of my career, this is going to sound negative, but I don't mean it in that way. I found I worked with a lot of people that gave me ways of not to act. I had a few leaders in the early parts of my career that said things to me that they thought were motivating and were indeed the exact opposite. And so I really took those to heart and did a lot of self-reflecting on why did I react that way to the way that they thought they were motivating, and I think that's where I sort of stepped outside of the regular career path and made my own decisions about the way I was going to move forward and I think I reflect upon those quite often when I am having conversations or coaching sessions with my own team and really try to be aware of what that person is thinking as well.
0: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like being in that position and having that experience to help guide you in the future. Was it more of a controlling approach? Was it one of, you know, maybe negative reinforcement? Can you give us an example maybe of what that was like in the past?
1: My very first person I worked for in sort of my grown up adult job, I remember her telling me, this is so exciting. Look at you. You're the youngest person in this role and you should be so excited about this. And, you know, we really need to make sure that we connect the way you dress so that people respect you in the role you are. And I do agree that you need to present a confident role model, but the fact that she connected everything to not my skill level not who I was as a person, it insulted me. And I said, you know, I understand the old adage of dress for your next position, but it didn't really resonate with me. And I think maybe I was a little bit of an early adapter in the, okay, you can wear jeans to work. I started my career and we weren't even allowed to wear pantsuits. Wow. Yes. So we had to have nylons. We had to have skirts. And that all just did not sit well with me. So
0: very old school way of thinking of standards and hospitality. Yeah. And as far as we've come, there's some of that still exists, doesn't it?
1: It does. And in places it is appropriate, but to relate it to my skill set and my experience and the respect that I would get from others didn't necessarily resonate at that time to me.
0: It's funny, when I first started working in this region, there is definitely a different expectation around corporate norms. And you go to meetings or industry groups, and there's a different aesthetic, there's a different standard. And I actually find it very equalizing and liberating. And I feel like people here are on a much more equal playing field. When I think back to conferences I attended in the city, or the corporate work that I had You could really get a sense of someone's status or sort of power structures based on attire. And I think it overemphasized some of those dynamics. And I really like the approach here where folks are a little more laid back and it's more inclusive.
1: Our CEO at Altera wears a black
0: t-shirt every day. It sends the right message, I think, to the whole community and the team. I want to probe a little bit on your, your mentor relationship with Dan Skelton, who's the president and COO of Blue Mountain Resorts. You talked about the challenge culture. And I think that's such a great way to get good results is when you work with someone who might approach things differently and you can have good, healthy debate. I know here at the Village Association, we try to do the same thing. But I find sometimes when you're working with new folks to the industry, younger people early in their career, they're very uncomfortable with the sort of challenge culture. What advice would you have for people starting out in the industry to understand that being challenged doesn't mean that you're being disrespected or questioned and that questioning is good?
1: It's a great question because I think being comfortable to be challenged comes with maturity or just the confidence you are in your role. So it's very difficult, you know, to challenge back and forth. The one thing that I would always suggest is ask questions be prepared to be wrong, be prepared to learn from them. And it's okay not to always have the answer. And that's what Dan challenges me on all the time, because I am a person who has answers. And I did a lot of self-assessment on that. And the reason I have answers is because I want to get to the answer. And then I am okay with failing at it because I feel like I've learned something and can move forward. Whereas Dan is far more methodical and analytical to get to the right answer. It doesn't mean they're just different approaches, but it's trying to understand the difference. And so I think what we have to do is teach people to just ask questions and keep open minded about things and and ensure that we build a culture that allows people to make mistakes and feel supported through the making of the mistake and then the learning and then the the redevelopment
0: of the new answer yeah and i think in leadership contexts you've got to walk the talk so if someone does make a mistake you've got to be nurturing and supportive and not make it a consequence for that to really come to life i can relate to that one of the hardest things i've had to challenge myself on is i have this innate need to want to have the answer and for people around me to know that i will come up with an answer And I sometimes feel that saying I don't have the answer or asking questions is a failure. And I have to challenge myself to go, no, you don't need to have the answer. You just need to be able to ask questions. But it's hard. It's almost a constant reminder. But it's good to work with people who challenge you and support you, right?
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I'm sassy. I live in challenging. I manage people who don't find challenging conversations fun. So that is a really like I'm growing as well and learning because I like challenging conversations, but not everybody does.
0: I have found one of the tricks that I try to do is I try to say to the team, challenge me, get comfortable challenging me, hit me with it. I can take it, you know, and that kind of it can be fun in a way, you know, and you can use yourself as a bit of a, of a case study. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about the evolution of Blue Mountain and our community, because you've been. A leader in the community and within this business for quite some time, and you have built quite a career in sort of alpine resort environments, like you talked about out west. I'm wondering, what do you think that the Village Master Plan, that sort of you know kicked off in the late '90s and early 2000s, what do you think it got right? And so, for those listeners who might not be aware, the Master Plan was there was you know for many decades there was uh, ski operations, golf. Some hospitality and and hotels and conference space, but in the late '90s, early 2000s, is when the really large development happened with new hotels, new commercial public spaces, and kind of took us to that comparable to a Whistler or a Mont Tremblant. So, you know, in your experience, what do you think has been the most successful in that?
1: So, without going through with my whole resume, I've had experience at Sun Peaks, I've had experience in Whistler, I've had experience in Mammoth with Squaw. And people might throw stones, but I think one of the reasons that Blue Mountain was so successful so quickly, well, first of all, location, we have a great audience within a very close proximity, but one of the significant differences at Blue Mountain is that there is one large operator that is fairly entrepreneurial and fairly out in front and willing even pre intrawest the Wider family was always ready to come up with a new idea, try something out, invent it themselves. That is the spirit in which Blue Mountain has always had and is embedded in the culture. And so just not to go into the how the other resorts are made up, you know, when the mountain is one person and the village is a hundred other people and the attractions are a hundred other people. And It just is very difficult to get that forward motion. And I think the large operator at the very beginning gave that forward motion and had the financial ability as well as the spirit to move forward and make big decisions fairly quick. And I think that is one of the reasons that Blue Mountain was able to build momentum so quickly where some of the other resorts had to do that consensus building that took a lot of time as well as allowed a lot of people who weren't necessarily aligned with the overall building of the business or the destination that were a little perhaps more in it for personal gain that jeopardized some of the the momentum in those resorts not to get too specific i could go on for hours and hours with a compare and contrast on that one so and i'm sure there'll be people who challenge me but
0: That's okay. That's what it's all about. But I do understand what you're talking about. Is there was a bit more of a of a tighter network of partners at that critical point of redevelopment, which enabled things to move and progress and get to where they are now. And and there are still other voices around the table and collaborative frameworks that make that happen. But when you have a single player that has a strong desire to grow and innovate and make influence, it does help. And it can be a unifier. Now, on the flip side, anything that if you could go back, if you were in the driver's seat, anything you might have changed or done differently? or
1: I think that because we had such a strong local support and local community, I don't think we made enough allowances for the reality that we would have run out of staff. I don't think there was enough forward looking on the impact of the overall destination on real estate in the larger area. Blue Mountain kind of felt different than the other resorts. It wasn't as remote. It had local communities that supported it. It had local populations that were there for other reasons besides just recreating. And so I don't know that we laid the groundwork early enough to ensure the sustainability of the resort with regards to building lifestyles for people who want to live and work in the resort.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, going back in time to more effectively flesh that out and work with the local governments and setting up planning frameworks 20 years ago would make a big difference. And I think part of that was a recognition at the time that there were sectors in transition. And so by not concentrating, say, employee housing in one area, this whole resort and economic engine could breathe life into all of the local communities, which it did. But I think it was maybe underestimating just how much growth would come. And the good news is it looks like we're starting to get there. You know, Stacey, you worked very closely with myself, a number of stakeholders on the first labor supply task force and the attainable housing research that we did. You know, here we are a number of years later, still advancing slowly. In your position, give us a sense of how you interpret the length of time it's taking to get there
1: wow, way to bait me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason every time I get in front of the minister, I ask her about, so are we going to have any movement? We have any short-term strategies? Because these long-term strategies we've been talking about for seven to five years don't seem to be doing much. So this is exactly where we talked about last week at the Ontario Tourism Summit. I think we need to change our thinking. In sales and marketing, I am all about growth. How are we going to bring new markets to Blue Mountain? Who are those new markets? How are we going to keep it new, keep it fresh? Because we have to rebuild the story every single year so that our true loyalists need to return. And the reality is, with growth and development, comes more staffing requirements. And so I think our conversation that we had is I think we actually have to start thinking about how we start tying more technology to what we do, start adjusting the guest journey so that it requires less high touch points so that we can keep the precious staff that we have for those jobs that really need eyes on for safety reasons. And we adapt our models and perhaps ask the government stop spinning their wheels and perhaps start looking and assisting us with finding and connecting us with technology solutions for what we need to do here in the people-to-people business, which is what we do.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is constantly reading the situation and shifting our focus. And you're right, technology solutions I mean, there's so much innovation in that sphere. And I think we've got to include that on top of all of the other initiatives that we're looking for. It's complex.
1: It's not something that naturally comes to us in the tourism and hospitality business, because we're about providing experiences with people for people. I think we really need help in it. And I think we really need, yes, we have to come up with more housing solutions. This is a parallel program, not a this or that but I don't think we're ever going to completely solve our labor solution without increased technology.
0: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? and beginner jobs in our industry because I've done most of them myself and I learned so much serving guests working as a bartender working as a front desk agent you know working as a server working in housekeeping all of those I learned so much along the way I truly believe one of the reasons why I am as confident as I am as a facilitator is because I worked directly with the public having difficult conversations every day for so many years i mean it really prepares you for a future so i always look at those roles i know they're often undervalued but they're really important and i think they're really skill building so you know for as much as we want to look at technology we also want to make sure that those roles can remain because they're great builders of skills and talent and experience so blue mountain resort became part of the altera mountain company family of resorts a few years ago I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about how that uh, new ownership structure and integration is benefiting the ski community.
1: Well, it's so funny. I said it to just on Sunday to a group of people that are actually own houses in Whistler. And I had to remind them, make sure you get your Epic Pass, which I probably shouldn't be saying in an icon location because they go off sale. And then I said, and then all you have is lift tickets. And they said, Oh, yeah, and the lift tickets are so expensive. And I said, But yes, they are. However, in my history of skiing, as long as you think in advance and get yourself that pass, it's never been as affordable to get to as many resorts in the past as it is now. But you do have to think in advance. You got to think about when you're not skiing, you got to think about skiing. And for me, as a person who has never left Canada to work, Altera, and so Vale has never been an option for me. Vale, the creator of the Epic Pass, and this pass for many resorts that we have moved to with Epic Icon and Mountain Collective. I am really happy to work for Altera. Altera aligns with me with the way that I want to conduct myself in and through COVID. The tough times, they have been supportive of all of their employees. They have actually impressed and amazed me at times with how they've conducted themselves. And this is also going to sound bad, but I really like is they leave the resort operation in the hands of the resort chiefs. And the resort chiefs run those businesses because they have been in those positions for a long time and they are the closest to those resorts. And we maintain our culture and we maintain our brand. That's what drives all the decision-making on the ground.
0: Which makes sense it's a collective of sort of autonomous resorts, locations, and teams, and yet you're coming together to learn. And I think the shared pass dynamic or the family pass, like the icon, for example, that's a relatively new phenomenon, isn't it? You buy one pass and it's good at a number of locations in North America, global, that's a new kind of trend in ski. What were the drivers of it? Was it around giving more consumer choice? Was it about efficiencies in business?
1: Yes, yes. For the resorts, making snow, hiring the large staff that we have to have to run a ski resort, the heavy equipment that is required to broom the snow, move the mud, everything that is involved on that side, it requires a lot of capital outlay by, in some cases, very small operators to, in some cases, larger operators. And in the old model, we would sit and we would wait for the customer to show up and the customers would buy passes and they would show up and they would buy the tickets. And we were pretty consistent, but our market has been fairly consistent for a very long time. And then people became more fickle and there became more things for other people to do. And so they didn't necessarily always show up when we needed them to so that we could cover our costs in the snow that we had groomed in the food that we had in the day lodge ready for them to eat. And so we really needed to ensure that we had our costs covered before people arrived. And it's really about making sure that we can cover our costs and provide a really good experience and hopefully grow more skiers with the flexibility that those passes offer.
0: In the few years that those new passes have been available, are you seeing, you know, I'm not going to ask you for numbers, but are you seeing the market respond positively? Like, is it helping more people find skiing and engage in skiing?
1: On the numbers? Yes. Passes are increasing. Ontario's pass numbers increase every year. That's great. What I want to tell you about is that we we didn't do one last year because of COVID, but the year before we did a opening event called a Stoke event, just basically building the Stoke for winter and standing in Jozo's with all Icon Pass holders and listening to them talk about their plans for what they were going to do with their Icon Pass, all the resorts they were going to visit, reignited my excitement in traveling and skiing and getting there however you can i joined a facebook group that is for icon rv dwellers and it's basically following these people with their icon passes and they share information about where to park and where the snow is good and when the snowstorm's coming so you need to get to the resort and i of course am working (laughs) I just enjoy the people's passion for the sport and how these passes are allowing them to do that. So,
0: that's great. It's building a real community.
1: That's the fun of talking about the icon pass. We can go into the numbers, but the fun is actually listening to the people and hearing how they're using it.
0: I think there's this misperception that skiing isn't necessarily growing, or that it's not, you know, attracting new players or new participants. And the truth is it is. And the way that the industry is adapting and changing to add more value, create new experiences is stimulating that. I'm wondering though, the ski industry is sort of known for perhaps having a high barrier of entry, maybe a little more expensive than other sports, certainly attracting a upper middle class market. But I see a lot of new faces on the ski hill and a lot of new Canadians, a lot of young people, young families Where's the future skiers coming from? Like, what are you seeing in those learned ski programs and those day tickets? You know, what does that profile look like of people who are just discovering skiing? What do you see there?
1: We have a lot of people who move to Canada and they come out once because they associate so strongly that winter experience and skiing being number one. They need to come out and they need to get on skis. What we're challenged with now, and we have some of our youngest and brightest working towards it, connecting them from that checking that box and did skiing to moving them along the path of I am a skier and we put a lot of thought into that I'm really excited because we really put a lot of thought into it specifically this season and we see ourselves at Blue Mountain as this being one of our main priorities is taking these people who are just coming out and trying skiing once and ticking that box to to identifying as a skier or a snowboarder. Sorry, I'm a skier, so I always say skier, but I work with a lot of snowboarders and I will get called on that. (laughs) So yes, that is what we see our role in, and we are constantly evolving and connecting them and also building other outdoor winter experiences that keep them here in the resort. And perhaps with the six-packs and the high-speed lifts, Skiing doesn't necessarily need to be an all-day event. You ski and then you can snowshoe. You ski and then you can skate, and then you can ski and you can tube. So we are trying to ensure that we take them past just that. I went up to a winter resort. I feel like I'm Canadian now, and moving it into a lifestyle. So if anybody has any brilliant ideas, share share away. We love hearing new and creative ideas.
0: It's one of my favorite things to do is to ski on the beginner hills and just ski with people observe people going through the lessons and one of the things that i always see it's the place i see the biggest smiles on resort is on the learn to ski area people feel empowered they're so excited they made it down the hill even riding the magic carpet is a feat and uh, you know my partner tried skiing for the first time last year and he was out 10 times and is super excited about going back this year and prior to last year you know, his response to winter was, "Eh, you know, I don't don't really know that I love cold that much. Once you get a taste for it, it's a lot of fun.
1: It makes such a difference, doesn't it? Makes such a difference. And I agree. I think the first day you ski is usually your happiest day of skiing, unless, of course, you learn how to ski and then you learn how to ski powder. And then every powder day is that same experience. (laughs)
0: In your role, I mean, you're responsible for sales, marketing, revenue management so much. I'm wondering, how do you stay connected to the needs of the consumer?
1: It's uh, funny you say that because I've been around long enough that I actually used to work without social media. And we were always trying to figure out how to be connected with the consumer now. And truth be told, Connectivity to our customers came very, very quick with social media. It is a great form to be able to understand what your customer is thinking. And it is instantaneous. Sometimes you like it. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes it's critical. Sometimes it's constructive. There's a lot of it. So, What we have to think about now is how do you take it and make it applicable and not hurtful and implement change that needs to occur? But, you know, we also have to ensure that we're surveying as well, where we can get down and get a little bit more critical. So it's both between the surveying as well as through the social media, because right now we want to make sure that our 5 by 7 community has the best winter they've ever had in their lives. We're so amazed by our ICON pass holders and our 5 by 7 pass holders. We have never seen such support in numbers, as well as just commentary and passion from those guests. And So we've done a survey and we're really looking to say, what is meaningful to you? How do we connect it to your experience and make this the best winter of your life?
0: It's a really good point, Stacy, because not only are you tracking social to learn what the experience is, but you're using your customer base to get in touch with them in advance to learn what they're looking for so you can be prepared. So that's a great example of of how to stay in touch with your customers is before a season or before you're directly selling or engaging with them to connect and ask questions. And digital tools make that so much easier, don't they? So much easier than even 10 years ago.
1: Yes, but it is tough because there is a lot of stuff on there sometimes that can be very critical and not always constructive and not always helpful and not always something you can move forward
0: from. Yeah. Do you find it sometimes difficult? Like it can be easy to be pulled into the rabbit hole of some toxic commentary.
1: We've all been there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we have. I also believe it can be easy to dismiss toxic content when in fact, what they are sharing, there's some truth in it, or there's something there that you need to pay attention to. So it's kind of like those challenging conversations you talked about with your colleagues. Social allows you to have challenging conversations with customers. It's just, you got to put it in the right context, don't you?
1: The lens that I always try to put on when I get into that rabbit hole, I have to step back and evaluate. There was key decision-making points that we put into getting to the answer that we made or the conclusion we got to or the change that we made. And so when you get an abundance of feedback, you need to analyze whether... Getting into a debate on social is going to make this move forward if it's just going to add fuel to the fire. And sometimes you've made a decision and you know there's no going back and you have to just move forward. Other times, if you look at it through that lens, you're able to say, you know what, we could tweak that a little bit. That's valid. But always ensuring that you're examining the feedback based upon the decision-making process that put that change in place.
0: And I think what you're suggesting that people do is make a decision and then move on from it rather than maybe leaving it unassessed. You take the time to pay attention, you make some decisions and then you press forward. I think that's good advice. Before we sign off, is there anything else that uh, listeners can expect from the 2021-22 ski season? Any senses of opening day or what people can expect?
1: I've learned not to call an opening day. (laughs) A winter seems to surprise us every year. I will say exciting this year, it will feel on the ski hole a little closer to normal with regards to the fact that we can load lifts back to capacity. Our lift lines, we will have the still the ghost lines for people to be able to provide themselves the space that they need so that they feel comfortable. But it'll be more about self-management and making sure that you are providing yourself the comfortable physical distancing that you required for yourself, and less about the hard-nosed rules that need to be followed. We're still working with public health on finalizing the details so how we will approach everything safely. And I think you'll notice that we have always made sure that we carefully and thoughtfully approach all of the safety aspects. So when we have that full story of what it'll look like when you get on a lift, we'll announce it. But right now we're very close to being able to tell the whole story. The two things that are sort of the big question is, can you load lifts? Yes, we can load lists to full capacity and no blue mountain will not require proof of vaccination. And that is in alignment with the Ontario regulation.
0: And you know, Kudos to yourself and your colleagues. Last year, I think the protocols that were implemented when we were able to open were so well managed. And I know guests felt very safe and taken care of. And, you know, I have joined you and your colleagues from the snow resort associations across Ontario on all of your planning work that you've done, working with the Ministry of Heritage, Tourism, Culture and Sport. On the working group, there's so much behind-the-scenes work going in to make sure that this ski season across Ontario is as great as it will be. A lot of people don't see that behind-the-scenes work, but thank you for all of that you and your colleagues do on that front. It makes a big difference.
1: You can't say that skiers and snowboarders aren't a passionate group. (laughs) There's a lot of passion. And I'm sure the Ministry of Sport wasn't ready for the passion that came from the skiers about closing their exercise last year. And then the thoughtfulness that came out of the industry as we reopened and as we move forward into this season to make sure that everybody's outside enjoying, having fun and safe this winter.
0: Yeah. And I'm always impressed by groups like the Snow Resorts Association. I mean, there are almost 50 different entities all working together really your competitors in the market there's so many of you are going after similar customers and yet there you are around the table supporting each other working as a team you know collaboration is such a spirit in addition to the passion so it's great to see thank you stacy look forward to uh, sharing a run or two with you this winter and we will talk soon
1: super thanks andrew Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you.